0: You're a professor at one of the finest law schools in the country. Is that something that you thought you would be able to do?
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) It makes me laugh hearing you say it out loud because there are days where it doesn't make sense to me, and I've lived it.
0: Question one is... Here's why. Professor Sean Hopwood is a convicted felon who spent 11 years in federal prison and is a foolish, reckless 21-year-old in Nebraska Listen to a friend with a really bad idea. He said,
1: what do you think about robbing a bank? And most people would have laughed that off or said, "Uh, maybe we need another beer or anything other than that sounds like a great idea, which is what I ended up saying. In
2: 1977, NASA launched what may be the greatest exploration of all time.
3: We have ignition and we have liftoff.
2: Today, Voyager 1 is 13 billion miles from Earth, moving beyond the planets of our solar system at 38,000 miles an hour. It's still sending back signals and science. But did you know this incredible feat has a soundtrack? Golden records are mounted on board in case there's someone or something out there that wants to know what's happening back here.
4: Christian Pulisic is only 19 years old and may be the best American to ever play soccer. He's now playing for one of the most revered clubs in Europe, Dortmund. And when 80,000 German fans scream your name, you better deliver. This is the stadium's so-called yellow wall. They have two rules, no sitting in the stands, And no excuses on the field. An
5: historic day for the young American.
2: I'm Steve Croft. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Scott Pelley. I'm Anderson Cooper.
4: I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm Bill Whitaker. Those stories tonight on
5: 60 Minutes.
6: What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love.
0: Jailhouse lawyers are prisoners who manage to learn enough about the law while incarcerated to help themselves and other inmates with legal problems. We get letters from them every week. Tonight, we're going to reintroduce you to Sean Hopwood, who is arguably the most successful jailhouse lawyer ever, having had one of his cases argued before the U.S. Supreme Court while serving a 12-year sentence for armed bank robbery. Since his release, he's built up an extraordinary resume as a legal scholar and has been published in top law journals. We first met him last fall at one of the nation's premier law schools, where he's become its newest professor. A tale of redemption is improbable as any you're likely to hear. Question one is, was there a constitutional violation? In his first semester at Georgetown University, Professor Hopwood is teaching criminal law.
1: Were the first statements unlawfully obtained?
0: Yes. The irony isn't lost on him or his students, who know that he's a convicted felon and that less than a decade ago was an inmate at the federal correctional institution in Pekin, Illinois. You're a professor at one of the finest law schools in the country. Is that something that you thought you would be able to do?
1: No. It makes me laugh hearing you say it out loud because there are days where it doesn't make sense to me and I've lived it. So I can see why it doesn't make sense to hardly anyone else.
0: It's easier for me to imagine you as a Georgetown law professor than it is for me to imagine you as a bank robber.
1: Well, that's because the bank robber has long been dead and gone.
0: Hopwood was born here 42 years ago in the small farming community of David City, Nebraska, surrounded by cornfields and cattle. He was a bright, cocky, stubborn kid from a solid family, and he hated rules. A good athlete and a miserable student who won a basketball scholarship to Midland University and partied his way out of it in one semester. He drank himself through a two-year hitch in the Navy, then added drugs to the mix when he returned to David City, working in a feedlot. How much has David City changed since... He was broke, unrepentant, and frustrated that things weren't going his way. So this is where it started. One night he got a call from a friend asking him to come down to the local bar for a drink and listen to what turned out to be a very bad idea. He
1: said, what do you think about robbing a bank? And most people would have laughed that off or said, "Uh, maybe we need another beer (laughs) or anything other than that sounds like a great idea, which is what I ended up saying. Really? you know i don't think either one of us thought that night that we were gonna actually do it it sounded exciting it sounded exciting it sounded like easy money that we didn't have to work for something that fit with where my mind was at at the time which was a reckless immature foolish twenty one-year-old
0: it wasn't until months later when they started scouting locations that sean realized they might actually do it so this is one of your banks It is. this is the third bank The idea was to stick up very small banks in tiny towns like Gresham, where there was no police presence and little risk of armed confrontation.
1: We wanted to get in and out of the bank as quickly as possible, not hurt anyone, grab as much money as we could, and run. And that's basically what we did in all five bank robberies. Were you any good at it? No. I did 11 years in federal prison for stealing $150,000. I don't think that's
0: good. Eventually, the FBI put out a composite sketch and began closing in. In July 1998, he was apprehended in this Omaha hotel 10 months after his first robbery.
1: When they arrested me, they searched my car and found $100,000 in cash that was directly traceable to the bank I had just robbed and multiple guns and a scanner and binoculars. They had you. They had me
0: and they would have him for a long time. When he entered the federal penitentiary in Illinois in May of 1999, he was 23 years old.
1: Was it dangerous? Of course, in part because there's not a lot for the inmates to do.
0: He doesn't talk about the things that he witnessed and experienced in federal prison. He doesn't want his family to know, and he sees no value in reliving them. Except for the job he landed in the safety of the legal library, which every federal prison is required to have.
1: And for the first six months I worked at the prison law library, I didn't hardly touch the books. They were big, they were thick, they were intimidating. What was the
0: spark that got you to start opening the books and looking at them? Self-motivation. It all started with a Supreme Court ruling that Sean thought might help him get his sentence reduced and it ended with him assisting other prisoners with all sorts of cases.
1: I spent two months working on my own case, researching, and I was never able to get any legal relief for myself the entire time I was in federal prison. But you were for other inmates. I did. Lawyers had made really bad mistakes, and it really cost their clients sometimes, you know, a decade or two in federal prison.
0: Inside the walls at Pekin, he won the respect of fellow inmates and discovered that he had an aptitude for something the law. I would be sitting in my cell
1: reading a federal reporter, which is a compendium of federal Court of Appeals cases and I would just read that cover to cover as if it was a novel just for fun. Was it fun? I think the law is fascinating. In what way? It was like a big puzzle for me.
0: Three years into his prison term he got an opportunity to show just how much he would learned When John Fellers, a friend and fellow inmate, asked Sean to appeal his drug conviction to the highest court in the land.
1: He came to me and said, would you take the case and would you file this petition to the Supreme Court? I said, no, absolutely not. Why? His case was very complex, and I didn't think I could do it. But John was very persistent.
0: He would spend months working day and night on the petition. It required him to master the facts of the case, understand the statutes and legal precedents, identify the errors made by lawyers and judges in the appeal process, and then craft an argument in the language of the court before mailing it off to Washington. Did the Supreme Court note
1: that the brief had been written by a prisoner? The first hint would have been the fact that it was typed on a typewriter. <laughs> I don't think law firms in 2003 were using typewriters to knock out Supreme Court briefs.
0: Four out of nine Supreme Court justices must agree for a case to be heard. That year, more than 8,000 petitions were filed. Seventy-four were accepted. One of those was written by Sean Hopwood. And one morning, a friend of mine came running and screaming my name,
1: Sean, Sean, Sean. Then what he had was a copy of the USA Today. And I read the article and it said that the court had granted John Feller's case. What went through your mind? I was shocked. I was shocked that the court had granted the case and that I had done something that, you know, lawyers wait their whole lives to do
3: and done it the first time. It's not that unusual for prisoners to file their own petitions. What is freakishly unusual is for one of those petitions to be granted Seth Waxman, a prominent appellate lawyer and the former Solicitor General
0: of the United States, is not easily impressed. But when he was asked to argue the Feller's case before the Supreme Court, he said he would do it only if Sean Hopwood would
3: work from prison as part of the team. I wanted him to be involved because I was really curious. It seemed actually almost inconceivable that somebody with his level of education and his level of exposure to the life of the law could actually write a much better than average cert petition. So this would have been good for a Washington lawyer? Even for an appoint- a licensed, appointed lawyer representing a federal prisoner, you would say, wow.
0: Waxman won the Feller's case before the Supreme Court in an unanimous decision and became Sean's mentor during his final six years in prison. When a former Solicitor General of the United States says that you did a good job
1: writing a brief, that has an impact, uh, especially when you're surrounded in this environment where prison guards are telling you every day that you're worthless and you don't amount to anything.
0: Did you win some more cases?
1: I did. Um, I want another case in the Supreme Court. I want a case in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. And I won cases um, mostly on resentencing motions for federal prisoners and federal district court cases kind of all over the country.
0: He found a purpose in life, and when Anne-Marie Metzner, who had once had a high school crush on Sean, began writing letters and paying him visits, he started to think he might have some kind of future when he got out. But he knew there were huge obstacles ahead. Did you decide you wanted to be a lawyer while you were in prison? I did, but I didn't think I could. Um, I had had...
1: Countless number of lawyers tell me I could not go to law school. And even if I could, I would never get licensed by any of the state bar associations, given my crimes.
0: When he was released to a halfway house near Omaha in 2008, he had never seen an iPhone, never been on the Internet, and was computer illiterate. But as if by miracle, he saw an ad for a document analyst at Cockle Legal Printing one of just a few companies in the U.S. that helps attorneys assemble briefs for the Supreme Court. Andy Cockle and his sister Trish Pilotti remembered that Sean showed up for his interview in ill-fitting clothes with a rumpled letter from Seth Waxman and an 11-year gap in his resume.
6: We work with attorneys every day, all week long, that are trying to get their case granted, and none of them do. And this guy comes out and says, I had two Two. of them granted. And so Uh, that, yeah. Did you believe him? No. (laughs) I I thought he was delusional.
0: But his story checked out, and they gave him the job. You're glad you hired him.
6: Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. It was sad to see him go.
0: He spent three years with the Cockles in Omaha, completing the undergraduate degree he'd begun in prison and continuing to impress the lawyers he worked with. With their help and against all odds, the University of Washington Law School took a chance on him. He won a full scholarship from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and, upon graduation, was admitted to the bar. How did you do in law school? Surprisingly well. You were already a lawyer.
1: Well, I mean, it it was a new experience doing well in school.
0: He did well enough to land a prestigious clerkship with the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, the second most important court in the country.
3: The idea that a convicted bank robber was going to go work for Janice Rogers Brown, a very conservative judge on a very important court, surprising in the absolute sense, yes. In the context of who Sean Hopwood is and where what he was setting out to do, not that surprising.
1: And the cops go. To the a house.
3: year later, it led to a highly competitive teaching fellowship
0: at Georgetown Law's Appellate Litigation please Clinic, please where sir. he did so well, the faculty awarded him a position as a professor of law. How hard is it to get a job teaching law at Georgetown? It's very hard. Professor Stephen Goldblatt is the faculty director for the Supreme Court Institute at Georgetown Law. To have
1: somebody who's a credible voice, who actually lived the experience, who understands, what it's like to spend a day in prison much less eleven years is highly unusual. So I think this was a unique opportunity to get somebody for whom there are no others out there and that the potential was enormous.
0: Along with this other accomplishment, Sean Hopwood also got to marry that girl from David City, Annie Metzner, who is now a law student herself. They have two children. Are you surprised how this has turned out?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I had no no idea of what the future would hold for us. Neither one of us had any clue that this would all these wonderful things would happen.
5: We'll
0: Hopwood's <laughs> <you. laughs> main interest now is criminal justice reform. He's an advocate for shorter prison sentences for most crimes and more vocational training, drug treatment, and mental health counseling, which are often non-existent.
1: Prison is not the place for personal growth.
0: We warehouse
1: people and then we kick them out into the real world and with very little support and hope that a miracle happens.
0: But somehow all the things stacked against you, you were able to do it.
1: Yeah. It was people that helped that went out of their way to provide grace
2: to me that made the difference. When you think of legendary voyages of discovery, you probably think of Columbus and Magellan or Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. But what may be the greatest journey of exploration mankind has ever undertaken is happening right now. It began in 1977 when NASA launched two spacecraft named Voyager 1 and 2. The mission was only supposed to last four years, but now, 40 years later, against all odds, the two little spacecraft are still out there traveling beyond the most distant planets in our solar system reporting back on what they find they're the outer space equivalents of the little engine that could nothing man-made has ever traveled so long and so far and as we first reported last year wherever they go they carry with them a message from earth for any other life forms that may find them three two one we have ignition And we have liftoff. When Voyager 1 and 2 took off in August and September of 1977, they had cameras and sensors and something no other spacecraft ever had two golden records filled with music. Johnny B. Good had no idea just how far he would go. go, go. Go, go, go. Go, go, go. They've been going ever since giving us our first intimate views of the most distant planets in our solar system, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and their distinctive moons. What the Voyagers found surprised scientists and made us think about our place in the universe in a whole new way. It was only possible because of a rare alignment of the planets.
6: Once every 176 years, the Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune are lined up in such a manner you can swing by one on to the next, time after time, over a 12-year journey to get to Neptune. Normally, it would take 30 years. So you lucked out? <laughs> we lucked out. If this had happened a, a decade earlier, we would not have had the technology to do it.
2: Ed Stone is the project scientist for Voyager. He's 82 now. There is a sensor system down here, but was 36 when he first took the job at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in California, where the Voyagers were built. Each part was carefully designed and tested, but with the launch date fast approaching, project manager John Cassani and his team learned that the conditions near Jupiter might be much harsher than they expected. They needed extra protection for Voyager's cables, they needed a quick fix. Kassani says they used aluminum foil. doesn't sound exactly high-tech. We would normally use metallized Kapton or Mylar or some, you know, more appropriate Mm. material, but we didn't have time. You just went to a store and got aluminum foil? Well, well, I didn't know. I said, ask my wife, where do you get aluminum foils? And that's, part of that is on Voyager? Yes, yeah. As seen in this NASA animation, the spacecraft, foil and all, reached Jupiter in 1979 and took the sharpest pictures of the planet scientists had ever seen.
6: That's the great red spot.
2: Wow. It was known that Jupiter's great red spot was a massive storm larger than Earth. What wasn't known until the Voyagers arrived is that there are dozens of smaller hurricane-like storms feeding into it. Jupiter's moon Io held surprises as well. It didn't have the cratered look of our moon and a 25-year-old NASA engineer saw something on Io no one else had.
6: If you look off to the left of the picture you'll see an erupting volcano, hundreds of miles high. That's the kind of eruptions that the
2: white and the blue light that's yes. an erupting volcano.
6: That's the first active volcanoes other than here on Earth. How big a deal was that discovery? Well, it was a major deal because it really told us that the solar system was much more uh, dynamic than we had imagined. Each moon had a geologic history. They weren't just old objects heavily cratered.
2: They had a geologic life. Next to Io, the moon Europa. Similar in size, but that's about all. That looks like nothing else. Right? Yeah,
6: exactly. If suddenly we realize that uh, what I call our terracentric view of the solar system was just much too constrained. I mean, nature was much more diverse than we could have
2: imagined. Saturn's famous rings also turned out to be more complex than imagined when the Voyagers got close to them in 1980 and 81. The rings are mostly made of water ice. Ed Stone calls them snowballs, but some of them are the size of mountains. The Voyagers also discovered small moons inside Saturn's rings. That Voyager could send back images like these is especially remarkable when you consider its equipment and the computers running it are 40 years old. The technology is really nothing compared to what we have today.
6: Your smartphone has 240,000 times more memory than the Voyager spacecraft. And it has a computer which is 100,000 times
2: faster than the Voyager computers. This is the power source. Ed Stone showed us this full-size model of Voyager. Both spacecraft run on plutonium a long-lasting nuclear source of heat which is converted into electricity. They carry ten scientific instruments, two of which are cameras. The Voyagers transmit a constant stream of data which gets picked up by giant antennas NASA operates in different parts of the world. To see one of them, we drove deep into the Mojave Desert near Barstow, California to an antenna site known as the Goldstone Complex. There are a lot of scorpions and rattlesnakes out here but little to interfere with the faint messages still being sent by the Voyagers. Voyager 1 is now 13 billion miles away from Earth. Its radio signals, which travel at the speed of light, take 19 hours to reach these enormous antennas at NASA's Goldstone complex. It's remarkable, especially when you consider that the transmitter on Voyager, which sends the signals, uses less power than the light bulb in your refrigerator. It's hard to imagine just how far 13 billion miles really is. The Moon is about 239,000 miles from Earth. Mars is about 140 million miles away. You'd have to go more than 90 times farther than that to reach Voyager 1. The musical messages the Voyagers carry, those golden records, were mounted in a position no alien could miss. They come with a needle and instructions how to play them. A phonographer. The records were the work of a team led by astronomer and author Carl Sagan, host of the television series Cosmos. Sagan wanted to document the sights and sounds of planet Earth. More than a hundred photographs are encoded on the disks. Along with greetings in 55 languages. This one from Carl Sagan's son.
4: Hello from the children of planet
2: Earth. Also traveling out there in space, music. From Mozart (laughs) to Louis Armstrong. The records in space are made of gold-plated copper, but this vinyl version for Earthlings was just released this year. It's the ultimate mixtape.
7: That's what I called it, Earth's Greatest Hits.
2: Andrean was creative director of the team Carl Sagan put together to collect the sounds of our planet for the two-hour record. It's heavy. It's
7: heavy. It's the arc of human culture.
2: The Drianne was 27 years old at the time and had never worked on a record before. She was the one who insisted that Chuck Berry would get a ride into outer space. It's so great. <laughs> Why Johnny Be Good?
7: To me, Johnny Be Good rock and roll was the music of motion, of movie getting to some place you've never been before and the odds are against you but you want to go that was voyager
2: do you imagine the extraterrestrials who discover this tapping their feet Did you want to Johnny good?
7: that was the joke on Saturday night live when voyager was launched you know they broke in and said um this just in from the extraterrestrials send more chuck berry <laughs>
2: The Voyagers haven't found any extraterrestrials so far, but they have contributed to the search for life in space. Their observations of Jupiter's moon Europa suggested there might be an ocean beneath its icy surface, which was later confirmed by another spacecraft, Galileo. Voyager 2 also sensed that something unusual was happening on Saturn's moon Enceladus. Many years later, the Cassini spacecraft discovered geysers of water shooting above its surface. So on Europa and Enceladus, you found water, which means potentially there's life. Yes. What kind of life are you talking about? Microbial life, very much like the Earth had for billions of years. After Saturn, Voyager 1 headed away from the planets toward the edge of our solar system. Voyager 2 became the first spacecraft ever to visit Uranus in 1986, and Neptune the most distant planet in our solar system in 1989. This is all astronomers could see of Neptune from telescopes at the time. And this is how Voyager 2 saw it, blue and turbulent, with winds gusting up to a thousand miles per hour. To celebrate reaching Neptune, the Jet Propulsion Lab had a party. Carl Sagan and Andreanne invited a surprise guest. You invited Chuck Berry?
7: Absolutely. And he came down the steps, the main building at JPL. No one knew he was coming. You dance? I dance with Carl.
2: Yeah. You may have guessed it by now, But Andreanne and Carl Sagan fell in love while making the golden record. They got married in 1981. Nine years later, at Carl Sagan's urging, Voyager 1 turned its cameras towards home and took a series of photographs of the planets in our solar system. You may remember this iconic photo of Earth taken from Apollo 17 when it was 18,000 miles from home. This is what Earth looked like from Voyager 1 when it was 3.7 billion miles away.
6: In that streak of light that Wait, you that see... Wait, that
2: little dot in the center? That's Earth. It's nothing.
6: It gives you a sense of how minuscule our world is, and even in our solar system, much less our galaxy, much less the universe.
2: That's home. That's us, Carl Sagan once wrote, a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Voyager 1 is now three times farther from Earth than when this photograph was taken. Scientists believe Voyager 1 is now traveling in what's called interstellar space, the space between the stars of our galaxy. Voyager 2 is expected to get there in a few years. So the Sun is our nearest star. Yes, correct. And then from the Sun, what is the next nearest star? Alpha Centauri, which is about four light years away. So Voyager is now in between the Sun and that next star. Yes, that's right. Traveling how fast?
6: It's traveling about 38,000 miles per hour. It travels about a billion miles every three years. (laughs) That's incredible.
2: (laughs) In about 10 years, when the Voyager's nuclear power runs out, Stone says they'll continue zipping through the vacuum-like conditions in interstellar space. It's very empty out there, and they're unlikely to crash into anything. Long after all of us are gone, Voyager 1 and 2 will just keep going and going.
6: Think of that, we have actually sent a message which will be in orbit in the Milky Way galaxy essentially forever, even after the sun and the earth no longer exist in their current state.
2: Wait, this is, my little mind can't Uh process some of this. The, even after the sun and the earth... The sun will
6: become a red giant and envelop the earth and that will happen maybe in five billion years from now. These two little emissaries will be out there in their independent orbit basically for billions of years. It kind of boggles the mind. That's the reason it was important to send it.
4: The biggest soccer stars in the world are known by one name, Pele, Ronaldo, Messi. The United States has never produced that kind of world-class talent. But as we first reported in October, a 19-year-old from Hershey, Pennsylvania, is poised to change that. Christian Pulisic may just be the best American to ever play the game. He is also the best hope for US soccer after the men's national team failed to qualify for this summer's World Cup. Pulisic is already a star on one of the most revered pro clubs in Europe. We spent time with the young American in Germany, where he is a household name. When 80,000 fans scream your name you better deliver. This is Dortmund, Germany. Anyone who says the Germans are not emotional has never stood at the base of Dortmund south stand. It's called the yellow wall. 25,000 fans bounce along with the ball from misery to euphoria. A collective, manic mood swing that would put most teenagers to shame. The The yellow wall lives by two rules. No sitting in the stands and no excuses on the field. Even if you're a shy 19-year-old, Four thousand miles from home it's loud
8: yeah no it's it's uh, it's really loud you, you, you can't hear your teammates from from 10 yards away trying to talk to you
4: is it intimidating at all
8: it, it is it is intimidating at times but i think as you gain experience and after i played more and more games it just gets easier and easier
4: he certainly makes it look easy christian pulisic was 17 when he scored his first goal for dortmund the youngest American ever to score in the German Pro's. An historic day for the young American. He celebrated like any teenager would with a dab. How do you say dab in German?
8: That, that's the that's same. Dab. Dust dab. Yeah, it's the same.
4: What makes Christian Pulisic special and so fun to watch is his explosive speed. His passing ability can seem clairvoyant at times. And he can shoot like a sniper. At 19, Polišic has scored as many professional goals as Lionel Messi, the world's greatest player had when he was 19. Do you feel like people are expecting you to be the next Messi?
8: Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's what American fans, soccer fans do especially. Uh, they're, they're looking for the next the next star the next player to to just be the face of US soccer and and all the stuff that i hear every day
3: slow them
4: down just slow them down 4 million american kids play youth soccer more than in any other country but the men's national team has never produced an international superstar and failed to even qualify for this summer's world cup in russia although it was a giant setback for soccer in the united states Polisic's rise offered fans some comfort. Former coach Bruce Arena tried to build a winning game plan around Polisic. So what did you think when you saw him play in person?
1: First of all, you don't think he's an American. And that's a compliment. It's a compliment. He looks like a natural on the field and he moves gracefully, he's strong for his size. His speed is incredible, his first touch is good.
4: Polisic is a game changer. Watch as he dances around defenders and somehow finds a teammate for a goal. At one point, he set up or scored nine of 11 goals for Team USA.
1: It makes you think that this is going to be perhaps uh, the first American superstar in the sport.
4: You're willing to say that?
1: I'm willing to say that, and and um, a lot
4: I'm, of people are hesitant.
1: Uh, you have to be hesitant about this, but this is a very talented young man. Lose
7: it, Brad, lose it, lose it. Sometimes, if I'm laying in bed at night and I'm thinking, "Wow, this is really happening," and I, you really don't feel like it's real, there was never a master plan.
5: No, there's no master plan. Not even close. Yeah.
4: Mark and Kelly Pulisic met at George Mason University, where they both played soccer.
5: Get some distance between you. Right. Mark
4: is a Get professional coach. Kelly just retired as a phys ed teacher. They have three children, Chase, Dee, and Christian, their youngest.
7: Everything he does is, it has to be at a very high level. He doesn't like to fail, and he wants it to be perfect. When he was two years old, he would color and he would color out of the lines and just flip out. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with this kid? And basically, I didn't want to color with him anymore. And, and what had happened was I bought white out for a two-year-old. And he would get the whiteout and go around the edges to make it perfect. And I've I never seen anything like that. I mean, I have two other kids, and I'm thinking, this isn't normal. And that's like his personality kind of in a nutshell. Is just at two years old, he had to keep it in the lines. He became obsessed
4: with soccer, and before he started kindergarten, had mastered one of the sport's most difficult skills, playing with both feet. He'd play for hours in the yard. When his parents finally coaxed him inside for dinner, he'd pass under this sign, confidence, the one-word gospel according to Mark.
5: He always was playing up against older kids, so I said, that's one thing you can never lose, and you always have to play with confidence that you belong. So. I wrote it up there. I did a spell check first so I could make sure it was spelled properly. So you would have full I, I confidence. It would, be, it would be there.
4: The boy Wonder ran circles around older kids all over Pennsylvania.
7: He was really small. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd hear people going, ooh, who brought their little brother? Oh, they probably didn't have enough players. So look, some of these little brothers out there. Isn't that sweet? And then the game would go on, and he'd get the ball and do something. And i just kind of giggle because they were like, oh, look at Look at that little kid! Yeah.
4: Sonny, mark, mark him! Cover him! By the time he was 12, pro scouts around the
7: world noticed him too. We would get calls constantly. Yeah. Oh, can Christian play with us? Can, and we had to really find the balance of what was too much.
5: And I just think what we did differently was made sure that we didn't put him in a structured environment all the time. We, he played for one team. Mm-hmm. He would practice twice a week. Mm-hmm and play a game on the weekend.
4: That sounds pretty normal. Yeah. You hear the stories about these parents who are doing thousands of miles in their car, taking their kids everywhere, special coaches, special diets, backyard workouts. Doesn't work. You didn't do that with Christian?
5: No. You You didn't keep
4: him on a a gluten-free, fat-free diet.
5: After games, we were more Slurpees and Doritos, right? Oh, yeah.
4: Pulisic's decided to see if Christian could cut it in one of the most competitive leagues in the world. At 16, he signed with Dortmund, a club that has a reputation for building stars. Why do you have to come to Germany to play? Obviously, there's a ton of teams in the U.S., but would love to have you.
8: I, as a kid, I, I, just, I always learned that if, if you want to be the best, you have to play against the best.
4: Pulisic's father moved with him and enrolled Christian in a German high school. What was school like?
8: I, I remember going in the first day, and the teachers would start talking to me in German, and then the other kids would say, He doesn't speak German. And then uh, I'm thinking to myself, How was how no one aware of that?
7: Oh, he calls me after his first day of school. Mom, Mom, hey, what's up, Christian? I went to school today. I sat in a class. I don't know what class it was. Was he a little lonely at first? It was, it was very lonely. And what would you say to him? I said, Christian, what do you want to do? You want to stay? I said, because believe it or not, it'd be a lot easier for you to come home on everybody. No, 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 Mom, I don't want to come. home. Dortmund is a blue-collar
4: town with rusted steel mills and a Pittsburgh feel, right down to the team colors. (laughs) On match day, the exodus from the streets (laughs) to the stadium (laughs) is lubricated with beer and bratwurst.
8: (laughs) Before the game even, you're you're still in the locker room, and you hear them singing, You'll Never Walk Alone. (laughs) It just goes throughout the whole stadium and you feel it and it just gets you really pumped
7: oh, overwhelming i cried just when i saw his back number 22 going onto the field like i can't even don't cry i can't describe it because <laughs> that's your little your little boy
0: yeah i hope i have
4: Pulisic has been embraced by the notoriously unforgiving okay. Dortmund fans. Partly because he's become fluent in German. It took him a year, but mostly because he mastered their precise style of play. To sharpen his skills, Dortmund uses this. The club's creation called the knot. It is German engineering at its most twisted. Balls are fired as fast as 60 miles an hour. Christian's job is to hit the randomly lighted squares.:
8: My dad, a lot of times will just be like, "Stop being cocky, just, just shut up. Stop being cocky. You're, you're, not, you're not anywhere yet. so he doesn't like when I say it. because mm-hmm. I, I, I mean I've been a coach
5: my whole life, mm-hmm. and those players never succeed. you know, they're, they're flashing the pans.
4: Mark Pulisic did cave a bit on Flash when his son, who earns more than $8 million a year, begged to fly from a national team practice in Kansas City to join his friends at Hershey High's senior prom. How'd you get there?
8: I, I took a private jet. A private jet? Yeah, in the private jet. So it's a little weird. I can't believe I did that. but
4: You probably blew through your whole allowance, right? <laughs> yeah,
8: maybe. But... You're
4: not on allowance anymore, no, I, don't, right? I don't
8: regret it, though.
4: After partying all night, he flew back and scored his first goal for Team USA.
0: The youngest American in the modern era of the U.S. national team to score a goal, 17 years of age. Pretty
4: good 24 hours. Yeah,
8: it was was pretty special.
4: (laughs) That goal ignited the hopes of U.S. soccer fans hungry for a world-class player. We saw it last summer. We were with him in Hershey. He was invited to sign a few autographs. This is the line that was waiting for him. There's no way he's going to be able
7: to get through all these kids. Okay? He's going to have to sign fast. He's right there.
4: Who was enjoying some of the benefits of fame, but his mother said, don't be fooled by a smile.
7: What do you think this is like for Christian? I think it's a lot for him. I think, you know, I sometimes I think he just wants to turn it all off. And he just wants to, you know, go home and watch TV. What do you say to him before? He... Oh, I just, I, I just, it's like get your game face on. Because, you know, he's got to go and he's got to play the part. And it's almost the same as I say before a game. So he's got to prepare for this.
8: No
4: soccer academy can prepare you for this. Where am I going? Remember, he's 19. Really, he just wants to play. Whether it's a pickup basketball game or showing up his teammates. <laughs> Moves like those and his boy-next-door looks make him a marketer's dream. Pulisic already has deals with Nike, Gatorade, and you guessed it, Hershey chocolate. <laughs> Top European teams want a piece, too. They've offered Dortmund as much as 4